Thank you, Stuart. Good morning again. Great to see everybody today. It really is. And again, what a blessing for us to be able to be together. And uh, we pray that God is being glorified as we worship him at this time and teach his word and sing praises to him. And uh, that's a blessing that we ought never take for granted. Think about right now in a number of countries in another part of the world, the church is having difficulty meeting because of the conflict that's going on. And we come here and we just kind of take for granted the church building is here. The utilities are all on. <clears throat> Teachers and preachers are in place. Materials are already there. And we take advantage of that. That's what's wonderful. But those are all blessings from God. We ought to never take them lightly. As we continue our series on faith, and we're coming toward the end, but not quite there yet, we've been talking about little faith, we've been talking about the difference between faith and the faith and faithfulness. We've studied about that a great deal, and today I want us to ask the question, what can I do? What can I do to stay faithful? A lot of people, they believe, apparently, from things I've heard, uh, people say that faith is a gift from God. He just kind of, the idea, I think, is it. He bestows it upon you. Well, that's not what the scriptures teach because not everybody has faith. And so God is not a God who says, I'm going to bless this person with saving faith, but I'm going to withhold it from this person over here. If God just gave that gift to everybody, then everybody would have faith in God, would they not? But that's clearly not the case. But we've seen and we've emphasized maybe at the risk of sounding redundant, that faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And so we need to never forget that I have a responsibility for the development and the growth and the strength of my faith. So faith, that's my belief, my personal belief in God, in Christ, in God's word as being his inspired word, his very word. The faith is his very word, and that is the body of knowledge and teaching upon which my faith develops. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faithfulness is my faith put into action according to the teachings of the faith, God's word. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is the power of my faith. The power of my faith. Now, clearly, my salvation is conditioned on my consistent faithfulness. My consistent faithfulness. Remember that we're told in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, that's not just talking about staying alive physically. In fact, that's really not the point at all. The primary message there is he who endures as a follower of Christ in faithfulness to the end shall be saved. And then in Luke 21 in verse 19, Jesus said, and what a great way to put it, in, by your patience possess your souls. The idea of patience there is your consistent, continued faithfulness no matter what. And then we look also in 1 Corinthians 4 beginning with verse 1 
or the Apostle Paul wrote, let a man consider us as servants of Christ's and stewards of the mysteries of God. And then he makes the point, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. We are stewards of Christianity. We are stewards of God's word. We are stewards, if you want to think about it, even to the extent that we are stewards of the faith to help people learn about God and to become and to develop their faith and be faithful themselves. Now, I cannot earn my salvation. I can be saved only by God's grace, as we've emphasized. Ephesians 2 and verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I cannot do something so great, so wonderful, that God owes me salvation. The salvation part is God's part. That's his work. By grace you have been saved. The faithfulness part, that's my part. You have been saved by grace. You have been saved through faith. And so my faith, that's my responsibility. But faithfulness is my part in God's plan for my salvation. Revelation 2 and verse 10, Jesus said, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. And if you really want to think about it, that is absolutely parallel to Matthew 24, 13. He who endures to the end shall be saved. And Luke 21, 19, by your patience possess your souls. So Jesus said simply, very succinctly, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Now here's the question then. Here's the question. What can I do? What can I do to stay faithful in the face of all of the challenges to my faith? that life and the devil throws at me. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, we read something about God's faithfulness. The apostle Paul said, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But, but God is faithful. I'm not sure how many people have actually thought about faithfulness as part of the characteristics of God. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God is going to be faithful to me as long as I walk with him in faithfulness. Now, what steps, what steps can I take to ensure my faithfulness to God? Interesting question, isn't it? Well, I need to purposefully make my faith my life. And again, I'm not sure how many people have actually reasoned things out and kind of analyzed faith and faithfulness to that depth. I need to make my faith my life, not a part of my life. I think a whole lot of people, they kind of compartmentalize their lives. And so here's my work life, here's my recreation life, here's my family life, here's my my spiritual life, when it comes to my faith, it cannot be compartmentalized. My faith needs to be my life, my whole life. It needs to govern every aspect of my life. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul wrote, 
He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Do we get that? No longer live for ourselves. Our primary focus ought to be, I want to live for Christ. I want to be faithful. I want to live a life that, through which my light, my spiritual light is shining. My faith is shining before people all around me who are living in a world of darkness due to sin. Yes. In Galatians 2 and verse 20, the apostle Paul related this to his personal experience in life in becoming a Christian and then developing his faith. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, physically, no, he was still living when he wrote this. He was still living after he wrote this. He was still doing the work of a gospel preacher, an apostle, divinely appointed, but also the work of a Christian. And so he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, Paul, do you mean when you get up in the morning and you go to brush your teeth? I'm not sure if they brushed their teeth. Had to clean their teeth some way. Toothbrushes came along later on. But when you're washing your face, when you're trimming your beard, when you're combing your hair, do you mean still your faith is to be your guiding force, your governor in your life, even during those rather trivial pursuits? Yes. My faith still needs to override my thinking, even while I'm doing those rather, we might think, mundane things that are necessary in our daily lives. As I'm going, as I'm eating my breakfast, as I'm going to work, as I'm talking to people, my faith needs to be guiding my thoughts and my actions. And my actions need to be conditioned by my faith. My faith needs to be my life. He said, I'm still alive physically. But this life physically, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's my guide. That's my conditioner, if you would. My spiritual life must be the primary focus in life, in my life. Everything in my life should fall under that guiding and directing influence, the governance, if you would, of my faith. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. And I appreciate Stuart reading this a moment ago. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. I think a whole lot of people, their focus is primarily on the things of this life. But Paul is telling us there, no, no, no. This life is going to come to an end. The things of this world are going to decay away or be burned up one day when the Lord comes again. You set your mind on things above because that's talking about eternal life and eternal existence with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But now I need to put myself into this in an aggressive and forceful way on a consistent basis. We're talking about dedication, commitment. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. Now, there's a whole lot of emphasis in our culture in this country today on exercise, physical exercise, right? 
keeping ourselves physically fit, keeping the blood flowing, the circulation going, keeping the internal organs functioning, eating right, doing all of those things that contribute to healthy life physically. But now Paul says exercise yourself toward godliness. He doesn't put down physical exercise. He says bodily exercise profits a little. It has its good place, but godliness is profitable for all things, for all things. Having promise of the life that now is in our physical life here in this earth and of that which is to come, pointing us toward, preparing us for, conditioning us so that we can be in heaven after this physical life is over. If I consistently live by God's teachings, then I'm going to be strong in my faith. Because again, faith comes by hearing the word of God. I'm, I'm going to apply them to my life on a consistent, ongoing basis. I'll be, as the psalmist puts it, like a tree planted by the water. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the, in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and, whether he do, and, and, and whatever he does shall prosper. Well, that tree planted by the waters on the bank of the whatever river it might be or lake or whatever it might be, it continues to, to benefit from the nourishment of that water coming into the soil adjacent to its roots. And so it, it flourishes. It does well, maybe even in the face of drought in, in other parts or over most of the land. But we're talking about the spiritual application. And so I'll be like a tree planted by the water, always spiritually nourished, always faithfully productive. That's what he's saying. That's the spiritual application. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, I'm going to walk by faith and not just by physical sight. I'm going to let that spiritual insight guide me through my life day by day. So, how do I do that? How do I purposefully make my faith my life? How can I implement that actively and effectively in my life while I'm still here in this world? In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, the apostle Paul says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And every one of those specific applications or statements of what he's trying to get across there in that message, they all, they all are traced back to, I need to be in God's word. I need to be in God's word. So I must spend regular time studying and contemplating upon and praying over the teachings of God's word as I consistently and continually study his word. So Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, be diligent, or in one translation says study, to show yourself approved or present yourself approved before God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or correctly handling the word of truth, God's word. That word that God has given us has had written down for us so that we may be guided by those very precious 
and important spiritual teachings. So many people, they're just focused on the physical, the material, and their life ultimately is empty of what it needs to be filled with. And that's the spiritual recognition that I have a soul, I've been created in the image of God, and I need to focus on being with him in heaven for all of eternity. I need to be living with him and for him right now and every day. And again, that my faith needs to be my primary governor as I live my physical life. We look at Psalm 19, beginning with verse 7. The psalmist talks about that exercise, that spiritual exercise, that spiritual focus in my life, continuing to be in God's word, that's going to strengthen my faith and my faithfulness as well, immensely. The psalmist wrote, the law of the Lord, now notice, this is in poetic form, and we look at all these different statements, but they're all saying the same thing, basically. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired. Now we need to get this in our physically and materially minded culture. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, more than fine gold sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, to them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. The Apostle John in 2 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and particularly verse 17 says, this world is passing away. All the things of this world are going to come to an end. But if we stay with God, if we continue to walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we will have that home in heaven after this physical life is over. In John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews gathered on that day before him, those who believed in him, he said, if you abide in my word, that is, if you live by my teachings, you are my disciples indeed. Now that that first statement, if you abide in my word, if you live by my teachings, that's a conditional statement. To be able to understand and, and recognize the reality of the second part of that statement. You are my disciples indeed. If I'm not living by, God, by the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then I cannot be his true disciple, his follower. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The truth, again, is what we read earlier in 2 Timothy chapter, four, uh, chapter 2 and verse 15. The truth is God's word. When Jesus was praying on the night of his betrayal in John 17 and verse 17, he prayed to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is the truth that needs to condition our lives and guide us in our daily, in our daily living. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 15, Paul said, and he's reminding Timothy, 
that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God's very word and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word does that for me. It equips my faith so that I can live truly, faithfully, effective, effectively, faithfully. And God's word, those teachings help me to grow spiritually. In Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse 12, the Hebrews writer wrote along this line. Now, he wrote something of a rebuke to those Christians that he was initially writing this to, but he was laying out the principle as to what should develop within us as to our faith, as we are in God's word consistently and diligently. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Now, that's, there's the rebuke. He said, you haven't progressed. You haven't grown spiritually. You haven't grown in your faith to the extent that you should have by now. And so he says, you, have, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God or the fundamentals of Christianity. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. He goes on and says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Are we only doing the surface level reading here or listening or learning? He goes on and says, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, and there's that word again, exercised to discern both good and evil. They have not stayed just on the surface level teachings just the basic fundamentals, but they've dug deeper and they've learned more thoroughly God's will for their lives, communicated through his word. So I need to diligently study God's word so that I can stay faithful. And I also need to maintain active fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. There are Christians who think that's not that big a deal. All I need is minimal association with the Lord's church. Really, is that why God sent Jesus into this world to die on that cross and establish the church on this earth, which is identified as being his body, as being the family of God, as being the house of God? We only need it on a just a rather happenstance level, just a casual level. I don't think that's what the scriptures are trying to get across to us. I need to maintain active fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We look at Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 23 in just a moment. But, but notice the emphasis on fellowship that the Apostle John lays out. In 1 John 1 and verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. How can we enjoy, how can we take part in 
to the greatest degree that we can in that fellowship. Fellowship is personal. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of hope, our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What's that confession of my hope? God is my father. Jesus Christ is my savior. Through him, I have been saved, born again, and I'm looking forward to a home with him in heaven for all of eternity. Verse 24 goes on and says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. I need to help my brothers and sisters in Christ. Being in fellowship with them, encourage them in their faith and faithfulness. Help them grow spiritually. And as I'm there in that kind of relationship, they're helping me along the same lines. Now, what is a primary setting or opportunity for that fellowship to be realized so that those basic goals can be accomplished and nurtured on an ongoing basis? Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. I need to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to be with the church as the church meets. I need to worship God with all of his family within my congregation. We need to strengthen one another. I need their strength. They need mine. And their time together worshiping God and being together in fellowship with my family of God is going to help me stay strong spiritually. Help me hold on to my confession of faith. So important. And this is basic to my drawing near to God and being able to effectively and consistently resist all that the devil throws at me to pull me away from God. James wrote in James 4 verse 7, Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Some people think, I can be just as close to God without being in a church building, without being there in worship service. The devil's already got you. He's already convinced you of a lie. And you need to open your eyes to that lie. Why would God have written in there, Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25, if you didn't need it, if you didn't need to be together with the church when the church met? And we need to help our brothers and sisters who are struggling along this line to learn this truth, to see it clearly. And then I need to be actively involved in the work and activities of the church. And here's where a whole lot of Christians draw the line. They do not want to be involved. They don't think they need to be involved. Sometimes they will make the excuse, I can't do anything. You mean God made junk when he made you? You don't have any abilities, you don't have any capabilities, you don't have any opportunities. Now, of course, God made you special. He made you in his, in his image. He blessed you with certain abilities. And this comes back to what we talked about, about the mindset that we need to embody, embrace, and carry with us all day, every day. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. 
If then you were raised with Christ, and you were as you came up out of the waters of baptism, seek those things which are above. Keep our focus on God, on Christ, on the Holy Spirit, on heaven, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. The devil will get us distracted all that he can, but we need to be focused on doing God's work that he has laid out in his word for us to do. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, speaking of Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. That's active, extremely active, that word zealous. And then in chapter 3 and verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain careful, what does that word mean literally? Full of care to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to man. We need to be active, dedicated, working Christians. And if my faith is not working, it will become dead faith. That may offend some people, but get mad at God because it's right there repeatedly in James chapter 2. Verse 17 says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 20, but do you want to know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then also in verse 22, do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And then verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. How could God be more emphatic than that? Direct statements, easy to understand. My faithfulness is in my hands. God's not going to make me be faithful. It's up to me. It is my responsibility. And only I can decide, make up my mind whether or not I will be faithful. Now, I need to make up my mind. I need to determine in my own mind and heart, I'm going to be faithful. After Joshua led the warriors of Israel to conquer the promised land, he spoke to the people. And he said this in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 15. Uh, chapter 24 and verse 15. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers, uh, the gods that your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, and God gave them that victory, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was saying, not even a question in my mind, not a question in the mind of anybody in my household, where our focus and commitment is going to be, we will serve the Lord. His mind was made up. He didn't have to go through those, mental, uh, through those spiritual and mental gymnastics. His mind was made up. The first step 
in staying faithful is to make up my mind to stay faithful. Where are you at today? Is your faith what it should be? Is your faithfulness active, consistent? Do people see your faithfulness in your life? Does God look upon you and see a faithful servant? Good and faithful servant enter into the joys of the Lord. Do you need to make a change in your life? Do you need to study some more? We'd love to help you if you'll ask us. Do you need the prayers of the church? We'll pray with you if you'll step forward and let us know or talk with us privately. Are you ready to put your faith into action by being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? We'd love to help you with that this morning or study with you some more if you still need to learn a little bit more about what that is and what it means. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing? Oh.